And tonight we will be studying about Rebecca, and she is a very interesting character. She is a person that starts out so strong, but at the end she falters a bit. And I kind of think of her kind of like a female Elijah. You remember what he did? He's the one that called fire down upon an altar uh, against the, the priest of of Baal, and he had all these wonderful things that God did in his life, and then just a short time later, he was in despair because Jezebel said she was going to kill him, and he just wanted to die. He couldn't take it anymore, and so she's kind of that way, except hers was over a long period of time, and she did a lot of things um, that she shouldn't have, and she was going to learn live to regret those things. But before we get into God's word, let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your examples in your word of women who are strong and yet they still falter, just like we do, Lord. And so help us to find encouragement as we study about these women. Help us to find the best way to do things as we study these women. And so we give you this evening, ask that you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so to set the stage, it's in the time of Abraham. He's now very old. The year is approximately 1900 BC, give or take. Now, he was 100 years old when Isaac was born, so that will make him now about 140 years old. Apparently, they still lived a very long time back then. Uh, Sarah, his wife, has now passed away, and he was concerned about his son Isaac. He wanted a, a bride for her, for him, excuse me. So he sent his most trusted servant to find a wife in the land where Abraham came from. Because Abraham didn't want to marry any of the Canaanite women that were around there. And so he sent his servant off to the land, which is now modern-day Iraq. And this was a big responsibility for the servant. He was supposed to pick out a bride. Can you imagine given that task? And so we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 24, verses 12 through 67. We're going to read a lot of scripture tonight, but it reads more like a story. And it'll be out of the New Living Translation. And it says, O Lord my God, of my master Abraham, he prayed, give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. So what is the first step of the servant? He prays. I know I would be praying if I was given that task. And that's a great example for us, isn't it? Whenever we're given something important to do, make sure you pray first. Then it says in 13, see, I am standing here beside this spring. Yep. My little pointer thingy doesn't work, so I'll have to learn how to swipe again. I know. This is like my remote. I'm lost without it. All right. I'll have to do something else with my hand. <laughs> so anyway, what this is, is probably very similar to what Rebecca was pr trying to draw water from, because it wasn't really like a well, because she had to walk down to it, and oftentimes they would go and they would get buckets of water from a spring. So here is the servant standing beside this spring, and he's praying, and he's very specific. Listen to this. 
He says, this is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink, I will water and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. Let's pause there for a moment. What is he praying? Is he praying, oh, let her be the most beautiful woman in the land. No, he's not. He wants a woman of good character for Isaac. And so he's saying, I want her to be kind, thoughtful, hardworking. That's what he's looking for. And before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother, Nahor, and his wife, Micah. So Rebecca was a distant cousin, and that was one of the things that Abraham wanted to find for his, his son. And it gets even better. Listen to verse 16. Rebecca was very beautiful and old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin. She is perfect. She is perfect because she's, she's going to be thoughtful, kind, and beautiful all in one. And she went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came back up again. So by saying that she was still a virgin, that just means she wasn't married yet. So she was available. And running over to her, the servant said, please give me a little drink of water from your jug. Yes, my lord, she answered, have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. When she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw more water for all his camels. Now, we don't know how many camels that was, but listen to this. She volunteered for a perfect stranger to water his camels. Let's just say an average caravan. He needed some camel herders too. So must have been a lot of camels that he brought with him. But let's, for the sake of argument, it was six camels. Well, an average camel can drink 53 gallons of water in three minutes. Okay? So if they only drank say the 50 gallons, that's like 300 gallons of water she was hauling up from the spring. So this was a huge task. I, the servant had to have been getting pretty excited. Wow, she really is special here. Verse 21 tells us, the servant watched her in silence, wondering whether or not the Lord had given him success in this mission. Then at last, when the camels had finished drinking, he took out a gold ring for her nose and two large gold bracelets for her wrists. Yes, she was the one. The servant had asked God to have the woman water his camels, and God not only impressed upon her to water the camels, but also until they had their fill. So God was giving the servant above and beyond what he had asked. And so there was no doubt in the servant's mind that this was the woman. 
So the servant gave her a ring for her nose. That's kind of like a little engagement ring. And it wasn't pierced or anything. It was probably like a little slip-on thing. So all of you who kind of grabbed your nose, because I know I did when I first read that. I'm going, oh, that sounds like that would hurt. But it was probably just something to slip on there. He didn't get, you know, an all right then and there and pierce her nose. So anyway, he says to her in verse 23, Whose daughter are you? He asked. And please tell me, would your father have any room to put us up for the night? I am the daughter of Bethuel, she replied. My grandparents are Nahor and Makah. Yes, we have plenty of straw and feed for the camels, and we have room for guests. Now, he wanted to go visit her home because he couldn't just snatch her off the street, right? So he had to go and ask permission from her family. Verse 26, the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. Praise the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, he said. The Lord has shown unfailing love and faithfulness to my master, for he has led me straight to my master's relatives. And so the servant... His reaction was praising God that he has brought Isaac's wife to him. And the young woman ran home to tell her family everything that had happened. I think I would too. Of course, the servant had no doubt uh, had the whole caravan with him. And so they were going to honor all these guests. It says, now Rebecca, a brother named Laban, now, Becca had a brother named Laban who ran out to meet the man at the spring. Now, you remember this guy, right? You remember Laban? Laban was the, the father of Rachel and Leah. We will learn about them later on. But he's the one that made Jacob work for seven years and snuck in his older daughter, Leah, when poor Jacob thought he was getting Rachel. And then he had to work another seven years for Rachel. You remember that story? Same guy. So, you know, he likes shenanigans. So, verse 30, it says, He had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and he heard Rebecca tell what the man had said. So he rushed out to the spring where the man was still standing beside his camels. Laban said to him, Now, he probably wanted to know, you know, why he was still waiting, why he hadn't come. And he says, come and stay with me, you who are blessed by the Lord. Why are you standing here outside the town when I have a room already for you and a place prepared for the camels? So perhaps the servant was waiting for like a formal invitation. We don't know. It doesn't say. And then says in 32, so the man went home with Laban, and Laban unloaded the camels, gave him straw for their bedding, fed them, and provided water for the man and the camel drivers to wash their feet. And so he was being a very hospitable host. So now the servant is at the home of Laban and Rebekah, and the servant tells the whole story. He tells how Abraham is wealthy and how he must get permission from the family in order to bring Rebekah home and all this kind of thing. Then verse 49, go down to verse 49. It says, so tell me, will you or won't you show unfailing love and faithfulness to my master? Please tell me yes or no, and then I'll know what to do next. So there was no question that this was the gal 
for Isaac. The servant knew it. The Lord certainly knew it. He had actually handpicked Rebecca. Now, out of honor to her family, he had to get permission from them. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, The Lord has obviously brought you here, so there is nothing we can say. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go. Yes, let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. <clears throat> they, <clears throat> excuse me. they believed the servant's story <clears throat> and gave their blessing for the marriage. This had to be, of course, a supernatural event because I don't know of any parent that would allow their daughter to be approached on the street, ask if they will go to a foreign land to marry someone. I mean, who, who would actually do that? So it had to have been something that the Lord was doing in the hearts of everybody involved. That's exactly how God works. He can do that. Verse 52, when Abraham's servant heard their answer, he bowed down to the ground and worshiped the Lord. He must have been such a godly man. And he had had quite a day, hadn't he? Then he brought out silver and gold jewelry and clothing and presented them to Rebekah. He also gave expensive presents to her brother and mother. So more presents were coming out uh, to respect the family, kind of as a bride price in a sense. And then they ate their meal. And the servant and the men with him stayed there overnight. But early the next morning, Abraham's servant said, send me back to my master. He was ready to go home. It doesn't say how long he traveled looking for a wife for Isaac, but he had to have been ready to go home. He had accomplished what he set out to do. But we want Rebecca to stay with us at least 10 days, her brother and mother said. Then she can go. Now, I think that's a reasonable request, isn't it? To get to know the people, prepare their hearts. You know, they're going to miss her. And besides, uh, you know, the servant may had maybe had a lot more gifts to hand out to the family. Remember, we're talking about Laban here. So anyway, what was his response? But he said, don't delay me. The Lord has made my mission successful. Now send me back so I can return to my master. So to him, there was no reason why he should stay there and hang out for a while. Uh, it perhaps was a little insensitive towards her family or even Rebecca herself. But his mission was over and he wanted to bring Rebecca to Isaac. He wanted to get this show on the road. Verse 57, well, they said, we'll call Rebecca and we'll ask her what she thinks. Now, I find that fascinating because apparently they cared what Rebecca thought. And I was always under the impression that way back then they were no different than, than cattle or something. But apparently they honored Rebecca's opinion. So they called Rebecca. Are you willing to go with this man? They asked her and she replied, Yes, I will go. She was willing to go with a stranger to a foreign land to marry a man she had never met. Now that is trusting in God, isn't it? 
And no doubt, they were kind of surprised to hear that answer. I think they were hoping that she would say, oh, yeah, well, let's hang out here for a couple of weeks, and then I'll go. You know, I want to prepare myself for this wedding and all that. But she says, no, I'll go with him. And they had no choice but to comply because they kind of made a big deal out of, you know, asking her and all. So verse 59 says, so they said goodbye to Rebekah and sent her away with Abraham's servant and his men. The woman who had been Rebecca's childhood nurse went along with her. And so they didn't send her alone with strangers. So she had her uh, childhood nurse with her. She also had servants going with her. Otherwise, I think it would have been just too hard. So they gave her this blessing as she parted. Our sister, may you become the mother of many millions. May your descendants be strong and conquer the cities of their enemies. Now, this ended up being prophetic, didn't it? Because she was going to be the mother of many because she was in the line of Abraham now. Then Rebekah and her servant girls mounted the camels and followed the man. So Abraham's servant took Rebekah and went on his way. Meanwhile, Isaac, whose home was in the Negev, had returned to Bear Lahai Roy. And one evening he was walking and meditating in the fields. He looked up and he saw the camels coming. I wonder if he would go hang out in the fields waiting for the servant. Don't you think he probably like, what is my wife going to be here today? And so he's hanging around, kind of looking, and he sees the camels in the distance. Verse 64. Then Rebekah looked up and saw Isaac. She quickly dismounted from her camel. Who is that man walking through the fields to meet us? She asked the servant. And the he replied, it is my master. So Rebekah covered her face with her veil. You know, perhaps she was feeling shy or something, but no doubt she had been talking with the servant, saying, you know, what is he like? What does he like to eat? What does he like to do? You know, is he handsome? So, you know, I bet she was kind of anxious to meet her husband. And the whole thing had to have been nerve-wracking. And it was, uh, it was modest for a woman to cover her face in those days. And then verse 66 and 67 tells us, Then the servant told Isaac everything he had done, and Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent, and she became his wife. He loved her dearly, and she was a special comfort to him after the death of his mother. So he took her to Sarah's tent. That was very significant because that means she is now the new matriarch of that family. And Isaac loved her dearly. It was truly a match made in heaven. God had ordained this. He had impressed upon the hearts of everybody involved that this was to, to happen between Isaac and Rebekah. And we'll learn more about Rebekah in a bit, but first let's look at what her life so, at her life so far and the lessons that we can learn from this scripture. Now, the first one is always pray first, when, especially when you have a big decision. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, never stop praying. So we're going to memorize a verse tonight. I think we can all do it. What is it? Never stop praying. I love those. They're easy to remember, and it's so important. So always pray, especially when being faced with an important decision. But you know what? God loves to hear from his kids. So 
Never think that a prayer is too small to warrant his attention. You know, if you're out shopping and you can't decide, should I buy this dress or not? You, yeah, you think it might be funny, but he would love to say, oh, you know what, that's probably not the best color for you. And he will impress upon your heart. You know what I do sometimes? I'll throw something in my bag if I'm out shopping. Oh, this is cute. I throw it in my bag and I, I wander around the store a little bit and I see if I kind of bond with it. And you'd be surprised how many times I put it back on the rack just because I don't immediately run to the cashier. I carry it around. I look at it. I look at other things. And then, you know, you just say, hey, Lord, would I really like this? Would I want to wear it? And he will always impress upon me, yeah or no, don't buy it. And then I'm always quick to listen because I always get buyer's remorse if I get something that I don't really like or shoes that are uncomfortable. Try it sometimes. God loves to hear from his kids. But can you imagine if the servant hadn't prayed for something as important as a wife and picked Rebecca without knowing if she was truly the one and then bring her home? How scary would that be? Instead, the, the servant knew that Rebecca was the right one because God was faithful to show him that she was. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. Isn't that important to know God's peace? Which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So God honored the prayer of the servant to find the perfect wife for Isaac. And what was the result? He did find that perfect wife because he prayed about it. And he had peace about that decision. That's a great lesson for us, isn't it? To have peace that we're making the right decision. But we just need to pray and watch him work. That is so important. And that leads us to our next lesson. Trust God at his word. Once you've prayed about something, don't try to snatch it back and try to do it on your own. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Boy, don't we do that a lot? We lean on our own understanding. That is never a good idea because we are not all wise like God is. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. What does that mean? Say, you know what, God, you know better than me. You are much more wise than me. And he shall direct your paths. He will show you which way to go. So if you have prayed about it, now what you have to do is trust that God will take care of it. So many times we pray for God to take care of a situation and it must be human nature because we want to grab it back, don't we? We want to fix it on our own. But that's never a good idea. Why is that? Because we never have all the facts, do we? However, God always has all the facts. He knows the things we will never know. The mindsets, the heart, hard hearts, the broken hearts, everything. He knows everything about every situation. He knows how to fix your situation. Whatever's going on in your life, he can fix it. And we must trust in him. 
The servant prayed, and then he trusted in the Lord to work it all out. And, of course, he did, didn't he? But what happens when we don't trust the Lord to work it all out? Well, that leads us to our next story about Rebecca. Now, to set the stage, he and Rebecca, Isaac and Rebecca, that is, have been married for a long time. They've had twins. And the boys are now in their 40s. Genesis chapter 27, beginning in verse 1, it says, One day, when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son? Yes, father, Esau replied. I am old now. I'm an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. Now, this was traditional. The firstborn son normally received a double portion of the inheritance. Not always. It was still within his rights to change his mind and give it to someone else, another son. But in this case... Isaac wanted to give it to his firstborn son. And he wanted Esau to get him some wild game because he knew that Esau wanted that blessing too. Uh, Perhaps Isaac was being a little bit manipulative and said, you know what, I'm going to get a good meal out of this. And so uh, uh, Esau ran off and went hunting and did as the father asked. And a hunting trip like that could take a long time. Meanwhile, verse 5, but Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left the hunt for the wild, to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. So Rebecca was eavesdropping on the conversation. And then what did she start to do? Take matters into her own hands. Apparently, her favorite of the twins was Jacob. Isaac's favorite was Esau. So now she was going to intervene for her favorite son, Jacob. Now, what's interesting is God had already announced that Jacob would rule over his older brother, Esau. Now, they're twins, so they were only like two minutes apart. But see, she was going to help God out. Even though God said this is going to happen, he was going to work it out on his own, in his own way. But she decided she was going to intervene and do it on her own. Verse 8, now my son, listen to me. Can't you just say, now listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. She is now going to use those same tactics that her brother taught her, you know, the, the, the little shenanigan brother. And she was going to try to manipulate the situation. Verse 9, go out to the flocks And bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. I mean, she's got it all planned out. She's going to deceive her husband and get her favorite son, Jacob, involved in this whole thing. 
And he's willing. He jumps right in. He's trying to figure out how to make it work too. Verse 11, but look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother Esau is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. Man, she's telling him, go out and do this. I've got it all handled, son. We'll, give, we'll get you that blessing. And she's getting herself in deep, isn't she? I mean, she really wants Jacob to receive that blessing at any cost, even if she is cursed. Verse 14, so Jacob went out and got the young goat for his mother. Rebekah took them and prepared a delicious meal, just the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son, Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth parts of his neck with the skin of the young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. So what happens at the end of the story? They pull it off. Isaac is deceived. And he gives Jacob the blessing. But then the father finds out he's distraught. He's heartbroken. His brother Esau is livid and is threatening to kill him. And Jacob has to leave home. And it is estimated that Jacob didn't see his home for another 30 years. He was out wandering around. So what did Rebecca receive for all her shenanigans? She got heartache. She was separated from her favorite son, Jacob. Jacob would never see his mother again. She died before he made it back home. So what did that gain her by taking things into her own hands? That is the lesson. Lies and deceit are never the right decision, are they? Because of the lies and the deception that Rebecca initiated, she would never get to see her son, Jacob, again. Not to mention that, that Isaac must have been really irritated with her. I mean, he had to have been hurt, but I'm sure he eventually forgave her because he loved her. But see, the problem was she didn't trust in the Lord to work out his own plan for her son. And she took matters into her own hands and she lied. And that is never a small thing. God hates lies. In John 8.44, it says, for when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, he says this to them, for you are the children of your father, the devil. Wow, he was going for blood there, wasn't he? And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So, why would anyone want to be associated with that? I wouldn't want to follow after the father of lies. But nonetheless, we do that upon occasion. We let untruth slip from our mouths. And it's usually based in all sorts of insecurities, greeds. You know, we, we're afraid somebody won't like us if we don't lie. 
We're afraid of losing someone if we don't lie. Afraid to lose money if we don't lie. There's all sorts of things that we lie about. And we all have our own reasons. But the fact is, God will never honor a decision that is based in lies. He may even let you live with the circumstances of that lie, just like like Rebecca had to live with that. Even a little white lie. You know, there's no such thing as a white lie. Sorry. A lie is a lie, isn't it? But none of these circumstances are okay with God. Whenever we lie, whenever we try to take things into our own hands and and work it out on our own. You know, it's just our pride that thinks that we can do that. But God is always there saying, please, just ask and I will work it out for you. We never have to do that on our own. And when we go out away from the Lord and do things on our own, it just shows a lack of faith and understanding in his sovereignty, isn't it? The word of God has a lot to say about untruths. Proverbs 12.22 tells us, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. I want to be a delight. I don't want to be an abomination. Colossians 3.9 tells us, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You see, lying is part of our old nature. And we're trying to do away with the old nature, aren't we? Luke 8, 17 tells us, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is there anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Let's look at this for a moment. Nothing is hidden. He knows every little lie that you tell. None of our sin is hidden from God. And God never lets us get away with disobedience. And lying is disobeying God. Why does he do that? Because he loves us. A parent always punishes his child when they're doing wrong. Why do we do that? So that they don't continue to do something that is harmful. What happened in Rebecca's life was because she decided that she wanted to do it on her own. She deceived her husband, and the punishment was she never saw her son again. But another result of that is our peace is always robbed when we're telling untruths. See, the truth will always be the truth, but we don't, and we don't have to remember that, do we? The truth is always the truth. However, a lie, once you tell a lie, you have to remember that you've lied about it for the rest of your life. Otherwise, you'll be found out. And someday, like Jesus said, it will come to light. And because we know we've lied, our fear will be in our heart and it will rob us of our peace. You see, Rebecca started out so strong, so faithful, trusting in the Lord. I mean, she was inspirational, wasn't she? Just her character, her kindness, her hard work. But life has a way of getting us to stray from what we know to be right. So what is the solution to this problem? What were our first lessons that we learned from Rebecca? First, always pray, then trust in the Lord, 
And then our last lesson was never result to lies and deceit because that is never the right move. Because we can lose so much when we, we lie and deceive. Our character is, is tarnished. Our witness before family, friends, the world, and that peace in our lives. See, we, we're ambassadors for Jesus, and we want to be a good example. We want to be just like him so that the world, when they see us, they see Jesus. Amen? And they won't see that if we're being just like the world and deceiving just like the world, lying just like the world. We have to remain steadfast. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 tells us, So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. We need to be, you see, we need to be steadfast in what we know to be true. And that truth, of course, is found in the scriptures, isn't it? Everything in the word of God is true. If we trust in that and not in the lies the world tell us, no matter what is going on, we don't believe the lies of the world. Uh, a good example of that was Paul. And he says, regarding the troubles that he had to go through in this world, he says, but none of these things move me. He was like solid. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may, may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So, of course... That is easier said than done because, you know, we've got people, we've got the world, we've got all sorts of things tugging at us. But you see, the concept is the same. And always remember that God will always give you the grace you need for the moment. So many times we go, oh, I just, I don't know if I could ever get through that. God gives you the grace for the moment. When you need it, you will get that grace. I will leave you with Psalms 136, 1 through 9. And I just love his steadfastness in this. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts. Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule over the night. For his steadfast love endures forever. What was being said here is God is really great. I mean, he can do anything. We don't ever have to take things into our own hands. Pray about it. Trust him. Because he is steadfast and he will be like that forever and ever. Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and this amazing story and the lessons that we can learn 
Father, we want to be like Rebecca at the beginning. We don't want to be like her at the end. So keep us strong, God. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon our lives and guide us and lead us. Help us to be steadfast in you. And so we love you, Lord. We thank you so much. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.